You're not going to want to miss this episode of the AI Show where we talk some high-level ML ops from Microsoft data scientists, ML engineers, and data engineers. Make sure you tune in. Hello and welcome to this episode of the AI Show where we're talking to some Microsoft data scientist, a data engineer, and an ML engineer. It sounds like the beginning of a really fun joke. They all walked into a bar. What happened? We're going to talk about high-level ML ops. So why don't we start with some introductions? Uh, Spiros, why don't you start, buddy? Right. Uh, so I'm Spiros. I'm a data scientist with Microsoft. And uh, uh, we are uh, here joined by my esteemed colleagues, David and Sam, as part of an AI task force, uh, a data scientist, an ML engineer, and a data engineer. And we're part of a wider team that covers EMEA and worldwide time zones and what we do is that we enable our customers to uh, formalize design and implement data science solutions uh, in azure uh, i'm the data scientist of this thing uh, pass it All back right. to you let's go, let's go to sam hi uh, my name is samarinder panda i'm uh, the data engineer of this team and i work as a data and ai consultant for microsoft industry solution team fantastic david Hi, my name is Davide Fornelli. I'm uh, based in Italy. Uh, I'm part of Spiros of the Customer Transformation and Innovation Team in Microsoft. Um, in this AI task force, I cover the role of the machine learning engineer. Fantastic. So I, I know you can't talk about customers in general specifically, but what kinds of projects do you work on? I'm, I'm sure it's a bunch of them. Who would like to speak to that? Um, I'm going to speak about that. So. Yeah. Uh, the latest project that we have delivered and, you know, as part of this particular task force uh, was with the largest UK energy supplier. And that was a supply and demand uh, optimization problem uh, combined with a field service appointment optimization. So it was a lot of overlapping ML models working with each other and on top of each other. Uh, another one before that was with uh, the world leader in shipping and that was about uh, fuel consumption optimization and route optimization using uh, onboard iot sensor data uh, and you know the list goes on there's multiple projects across all disciplines from finance to healthcare to anything you can think of so when when we're talking about these particular projects are they all like completely different from one another? I'm sure there's aspects of that, but are there common things as well that, that you see in them? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they can be very different in terms of uh, the, uh, the context or the domain. But uh, when it comes to AI and ML, uh, there are a lot of common patterns. And especially with our experience delivering such project, projects, uh, and this is the topic of today's show, I guess. Uh, one of them that stands out the most is how important it is to uh, to do proper machine learning operationalization, aka MLOps. How critical it is, and and what effect it has downstream for a project. Yeah, and I showed I showed briefly showed the screen right the whole concept of MLOps, but for delivering value, which is pretty cool. So let me, let me, let me ask this question and let me, let me point it to you. Maybe, uh, uh, Sam, what are, there's gotta be some common like pitfalls that people like jump into when they're doing these projects. 
what are what are you finding that's just the common common challenges? We'll go to you, Sam. Yeah. So that that's a very good question, and you no, know, I would like to you know talk from the data perspective, and then I'll hand over to David to talk from the machine learning perspective. So let me just talk about the data from the data perspective. So in my experience, you know, I've seen that you know most of the time in any of the machine learning projects, the main concentration goes into the model training or optimizing the model to get the better performance metrics or scoring of the model. Uh, although you know I believe that you know these are important. However, not having an automated data ingestion pipeline as a step or part of the process makes a better model perform really bad over time. Uh, if we are not training the model with the you know recent data the model will be biased towards the previous version of the data which is really bad right uh, and then one more uh, problem what i have seen is basically the integration point between the data scientist and the data engineer i'll just give you an example uh, so let's say that you know uh, uh, i i the training script the model training script doesn't need lot many features it just need you know couple of features but the data engineer who is working on the project or the data ingestion framework is basically sending lot of attributes or lot of columns to the machine, the training script or let's say that uh, the machine learning uh, machine learning model is supposed to train the model on a specific hierarchy uh, take an example of geography hierarchy and the training training of the model is uh, basic the training of the model should be done based on the country but we are supplying the data or we are providing the data based on the city level hence what's happening that you know we are provi providing lot many columns lot many rows and that basically makes the training of the model uh, becomes really slower because we need to do some kind of overhead uh, functionality like aggregating the data or you know feature engineering and all those kind of steps we need to perform uh, just before we actually get into the actual training algorithm part so i i believe you know these are the main pitfalls or the problems what i have seen uh, in any kind of machine learning project project yeah and just to summarize i i love the like look i i'm a i went to school and did research you know on like building machine learning models so that part is super interesting to me but your models only as good as your data process i think that's what you're saying right sam yes yes that that's true if the if the processing of the data is not uh, you know great or if it is not automated or if it is not meeting the sla then no point of having a good model because that will perform bad over time cool all right david you what, what are some of the common challenges that you're seeing so like um i would like to take it a little bit far uh, far the answer um, so there is a reason uh, why uh, in the word in the sentence data science there is the word science in it um, it is an exploratory activity that, given a thesis, it requires experimentation to prove its feasibility. So this means that more are the experimentation cycles <clears throat> that you can complete, higher are the chances uh, to find a solution for the hypothesis. The experimentation cycles are also useful to gather a better understanding of the actual business need, because sometimes we start with the customers with an overview of the business need, which is going to become more specific uh, across this kind of cycles. Uh, so it, it could also happen that um, the, the business need that uh, we used at the very beginning at the origin of the project is going to change over time. So the experimentation velocity of these cycles and the solution flexibility that we are delivering, which is, has to be capable of um, shifting depending on the business needs, 
are two of the main peoples and key features that we have to manage in our project. And that's really cool because, I mean, the word science, everyone thinks it's like, oh, it's so scientific. But science is really a rigorous process of guessing and checking. I mean, is, am, I, am I saying that right? Exactly. That's, a, that's perfect. That's perfect. And more experiments we do, uh, higher chances we have to uh, solve the business problem. So to be really quick, so the, the concept of velocity here comes from the agile methodology. So we apply the concept of velocity of the development team to the velocity of the data science team. Okay. So higher is the velocity, more experimentation going to be able to do, uh, higher are the chances to reach to the solution of the business problem. That's really cool. Uh, Spiro, so what are, some, what are some of the challenges that you've seen, my friend? Yeah, so uh, following up from what David said about science, we have to remember, right, that you can you can get a PhD by trying to prove something and getting to the point where you can prove that it cannot be done, right? So that's one thing that the customers never have in mind. That's one thing that sometimes it's not possible. Uh, and then building up on that, uh, it's the thing that I, what I find the hardest from a, from a data scientist perspective in close contact with our stakeholders and the business customers is that, uh, uh, first of all, the MLOps part is very often either, you know, varies from being underestimated or being missed completely in the planning stage, which is a big problem. Uh, then the, the most, most of the difficulties we run into have to do with the definition of the data science user stories and targets and the definition of done and the success criteria. For example, what should be the evaluation metrics that we should choose? When is a model good enough? Is 90% good? Is it bad? Should we try for 91%? You know, uh, and when do we accept that there is a realistic value for those metrics to be successful? And when, when are we done with the experimentation? So those conversations are very, very uh, important. And uh, another thing is that very often, uh, it is uh, difficult to decide when we should actually go for data-driven modeling approach versus uh, subject matter expert inputs for decisioning. When should we go with the data and when should we go with the experience and the gut feeling? And uh, yeah, th those both of those things built on top of everything else that the guy said. I, and I, I personally think, like, I know we should think about these things, but... Like what mean? What does it mean to have success? What does it mean to be done? And then maybe we don't need this at all. I mean, I've I've had people, customers, come to me and ask me, "Hey, I want to do this thing," and I'm like, "Hey, I, that sounds like a database lookup, and not actual AI." Have you have any of you had something like that as well? Yeah, it's it's actually uh, funny that uh, this is so. Working for Microsoft has this good thing that we're not going out there to we don't have to sell something uh by force you know right. we and and that gives you the flexibility to operate uh, with honesty and transparency and i i find it and we we've, we've all seen that with our customers that they really sometimes are flabbergasted when we say that sounds cool but we're not gonna waste your time it's not gonna work it's not gonna bring you value there's no point in doing that here's how you can do it another way cheaper faster and without 
going into the whole big data hype. Uh-huh. And, and that, you know, having the ability to do that builds trust. And it's the best way to go because it's like the, the honest way to go. So, and, and, you know, if we are realistic, there are some cases where you don't need to go, you know, with deep learning, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I always start with decision trees and logistic regressions, even if it's even and always start simple and then get complicated when you have to. Here's another question. I'll, I'll put it to you, uh, David, and then we'll, yep. we'll, we'll cycle through. We've talked about the table stakes challenges. Or have mm-hmm. there been surprising challenges as you've worked with customers that you're like, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I need to make a mental note of this for next time. What do you think, David? Yeah, so like um, as a machine learning engineer, I like to think about the life cycles of the, the models. So one of the considerations that I make and, and do this also with the customers, with our customer, is that uh, the model's environment is different uh, between the POC, where you study the model, and the real world where you're going to use the model. So during our design sessions with the customers, I typically suggest to experiment with the real world in mind. Some, something like um, how the, so keep in consideration how the data is ingested, as uh, Sam was mentioning, uh, how is the scoring done? Uh, which are the timings constraints for the training and scoring? Which is the source data uh, during the training and, scor- and the scoring stages? Um, and the list goes on. So designing a machine learning solution, uh, so what we do uh, as consultants is not only about designing the architecture, but it is mainly about designing the overall life cycle of the model. Interesting. Spiros, some other surprising things. Well, that's uh, kind of an easy one because it is surprising even for me how often uh, the customer will uh, underestimate or overestimate the quality of the data that they own. Uh, so we see it's pretty often the case that uh, uh, people are influenced by the tech sphere hype and they they go after high complexity use cases that are you know very challenging to even define. And uh, very soon, I mean, if you know what you're doing, you can very quickly spot that either there is no data available at all for that use case or that the granularity or quality or frequency of the data is not appropriate for that kind of problem. So uh, what is surprising, and it shouldn't be surprising, uh, is that, uh, you know, big data by itself cannot solve any problem and AI, you know, with big data. Uh, it has to have some uh, quality uh, aspects that come with it. Um, another point is, uh, which I find surprising, is that uh, it's still the case that many times we see that uh, a business will uh, find it, uh, will we, think that it is almost equivalent to replace uh, data-driven structured data flows uh, with people-centric, people-centric flows. And to have the belief that uh, the people-centric flow will either be less error-prone or at least as good or as fast as a fully automated pipeline. And this is what we do, basically. This is, this is where we come in and we explain and demonstrate with POCs that that's not the case. 
Interesting. Sam, let's go to you. Uh, surprising challenges that you found. Uh, I, I'll, I'll just, you know, uh, talk about the, the real, you know, the development scenarios. So, for example, you know, I have seen that, you know, uh, in any if you go to the any customer place and, you know, they would be having so many models. And now they probably be choosing any uh, tools for the machine learning, like any compute there will be, uh, uh, which would be there to train the model or inference the model. But one common thing what I found that let's say there will be some common script like you know creating the compute or creating the data store, creating the mount point, everything will be scattered and all the machine learning model would be there, would be having their own version of the script. Now, like there is no modularization, uh, like you know there is no module uh, concept or nothing is there. So I, I really found it is it's really difficult to work in those kind of scenario. Let's say one data scientist working in some part of uh, a machine learning model. Now let's say, you know, he is going to ship to a different machine learning uh, model problem. Then he needs to go through the whole framework again because that has been coded differently. So I believe, you know, if we do not have any kind of standardization or the uniqueness in the framework, that will create a lot of problem because in the machine learning process, what I feel only the changes what happen is the input, output, and the environment, and the training algorithm. Everything else remains same. And that everything else can be standardized uh, across the organization, across the different machine learning uh, you know, problems. And that's that's really cool because I think it's hitting on something that I, this is what I want to get into now. You talk about standardization. My sense is that some patterns emerge the more customers you work with can you talk about those patterns a little bit? We'll start with you, Spiros. Um, yeah, so basically what we've realized is that uh, the, the main pattern is that it's not enough to have uh, data science and AI involved in a project. You have to basically have a, a solid and flexible framework for machine learning operationalization, MLOps, as we call it, which covers three basic principles. One is that obviously it follows the DevOps methodology for machine learning. Then it uses the machine learning technology and enables the models to go end to end to production. And it also allows for, a, for an agile culture. So it, it needs, um, this needs to be in place so that we are flexible and we don't go down the road of uh, chasing down a standalone use case and go waterfall trying to solve it. And then only to realize in the end that we need to change course or rebuild or you know throw away everything we've done for the last four sprints, for example. So only if you have a solid and flexible framework for MLOps, you, are, you, know, you maximize your chances of being uh, uh, prepared for any uh, eventuality and you know maximize chances for success. So let's talk about because we kind of been dancing dancing around this notion of ML ops. How would you describe ML ops? Uh, who wants to take this one? Well, Spiros, you can go. You can go ahead with the with the yeah, discussion. We have the the deck. I think we can we can yeah. bring up the deck. Yeah, bring it up here. So. So this is what it looks like 
MLOps in delivery, what it looks like in, in real life. So uh, MLOps is a set of, of practices and, and rules that allow the, uh, you know, it, it follows the DevOps guidelines for machine learning. And in terms of the technical aspect, there is not a lot of differences. What, what, we, what we're showing here is what it looks like from the, the people perspective, that uh, the, the, the mission and what we do as a, uh, an AI group here, uh, the three of us, is that we go in and we cover, we have overlapping skills to, to some extent, but we are each one are experts in our own area. So the data scientist will be covering the modeling aspect and the, you know, creating the model to solve the problem. The ML engineer will also heavily participate in that and also in tuning and operationalization. And the data engineer will be predominantly doing all the implementation of the pipelines, the environments and the, and the framework. And what's important, what's the key takeaway from here is that it is about not just the methodology, but also the technology used and the culture. So you can't have one without the other. You can't run this successfully without having a very competent uh, data engineer, for example. Uh, there is, unfortunately, I'm going to spoil this for you, Seth, that we can't have a unicorn data oh. engineer or a unicorn data scientist if we're talking about a serious level of commitment of a project. If it's a standalone POC or a, or a hackathon, you can do those things, but for a full scale, operational project for a large customer or, or a large organization, you really need to have the interoperability between these three roles. And that's why we are uh, successful when we go in like this. That's interesting. David, do you have some uh, something to add here? Yeah, so like um, in the next slide, we, we're going to discuss also about which are the, um, the principles, you know, about the MLOps in delivery. So, um, Basically, the principles are, are four. We, when we deliver something, we are based on four pillars. The first one is the change management. So also this is something that most of the time it can, is underestimated because uh, when AI is involved, it's going to change some business processes. Uh, the solution that we are going to make is going to be uh, used by someone in the from the customer side so we need to take care that uh, the, the customer and the team of the customer so the end user is going to be able to uh to to, to use what we're going to deliver as it best okay and without any sort of fear because sometimes you know ai is perceived as something that is going to replace um the, the human being in their own job. Instead, AI, what the solution that we do also for a concept of responsible AI, AI is something that is going to help the, the end user. Uh, it's not something that is going to replace the end user. So it's something that is going to be used with uh, the human being, not in place of. The other pillars are more about the, the delivery, uh, the technical aspect. Uh, one is the uh, development environment, which is something where, well, you know, the, the there are many types of data scientists, like in uh, as, the, as software engineers, you could have different flavors. I would like to use Python, I would like to use R, I would like to use Scala, and uh, the list goes on. Um, what we take care about is also to try to, let's say, establish the, the language. Let's say Python, okay? We uh, are going to put all the software engineers, all the data scientists in a condition to 
be able to uh, work in the same environment as quick as possible. So typically we use a Visual Studio code with a Docker environment, uh, which is going to be attached uh, all together. And we're going to also create an environment that is going to uh, work remotely with uh, the um, with the cluster with the with the compute target. These are technicalities that sometimes are kind of underestimated because working with a remote Spark cluster from the local environment it requires a lot of um, configurations. So if you have another team member that is going to join the team, you have to put him uh, him or her um, up and running as soon as, as soon as possible. Another thing, another pillar about the more uh, technical aspect of the model. Uh, is that we have to be able to basically log everything. I love logging. Logging, uh, logging saved our life, professional life, many times, uh, because when the mother breaks, uh, it's not going to send you an email, hey, I'm going to break, wake up. Uh, it's, going to, it's going just to break, and that's it. So you need to be, since sometimes what we develop, sometimes most of the time what we, de we develop is mission critical because, um, uh, we have the skills to um, commit to such missions. Um, we need to be able to, if something breaks, to fix it as soon as possible. And logging the models is not that, that easy as, it's cool, uh, as it could sound. Um, so we put it in place, um, a framework, a methodology also to uh, ensure that everything that is developed by uh, our teams uh, is going to be logged properly and is going to be uh, easily um, uh, searched, searched when uh, it is needed. Um, the last pillar is also um, the 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 the, uh, the architecture. So we need to be able to deploy the architecture in different environments in the same way every time. Uh, the customer can have dev, prod, test, uh, pre-prod. Uh, another environment is a simulation of uh, uh, like a digital twin of the production environment and so on. So. Um, we need to be able to deploy uh, the established um, the established architecture um, in every environment uh, with with ease, like with just one click. Okay, so this is mandatory. Also, all these things um, uh, help us to uh, improve what we were saying before. So the the velocity of the experimentation and to increase the solution flexibility. Okay. So these these four pillars are helping us to achieve this to to solve these two pitfalls actually that we were discussing before. That's cool, Sam. What what are you your thoughts on, uh, on ML ops, my friend? Yeah, I think uh, almost you know David has covered you know all those aspects, but you know I think I'll just try to add the data aspect of it because as I to, as I have been saying, without data, you know a model can't be a better model. So. You know, the, the only things which I can think of having a good integration point between your data pre-processing and the machine learning model training script initiation. So for example, I'll just take one example. Let's say you have an Azure machine learning service. Now, you know, you probably be doing the data pre-processing somewhere else. Then, you know, you should be having a pipeline, you know, which basically tell us that, you know, when the pre-processing of the data finishes, then only you start the training. Like you should not run in a silo mode. You know, that should be having a good integration in between. So that's something I can I can talk about. Like, you know, make it a integral, uh, like data pre-processing or the data ingestion should be the integral part of the whole MLOS lifecycle. Yeah, and this, I mean, this has been super good. 
Uh, let's just finish off um, and uh, with this because all of this information has been good. I love the pragmatic approach to this. It's not like, hey, this is magic. No, it feels like it's actually engineering the stuff that we've been used to as programmers since forever. Any tips from any of you on someone that's like, yeah, we want to, we have a nascent uh, machine learning practice that we want to start in our organization. What are some tips that you that you might have? We'll go to you, Spiros. Right. Um, yeah. So the, the, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on some things that we mentioned before. So I, I would say number one would be uh, invest the time uh, in the beginning to. Uh, be, be very mindful, actually, to not overinflate expectations and invest the time to explain that this is a scientific experiment, essentially. And any time that you invest in the beginning to set up your experiment, to set up your, your target, what you're going after uh, as clearly as possible, it's going to pay off in the, in the long run. Uh, another thing I would say is avoid going for the solo superstar approach uh, but get yourself a proper task force of experts like we are talking about here uh, so that you can cover even if there is overlap but you can cover all of the things that you need to cover and uh, another thing that i would mention would be uh, again pay pay very much attention to uh, clearly articulate to the stakeholders and what the possible outcomes can be of, of the experiment with ML, that it can be total success, total failure, and anything in between. So we have to be prepared for that because one of the most common pitfalls that we didn't really mention was that uh, many times in a project, the, the component of AI is considered as done before we even start, that we are certain that the outcome will be what we expect it to be. And we only come back to pay attention uh, and, and realize that it is central, mission critical to the whole project when things go wrong. So way better to do not overflate expectations, explain the possible outcomes early on and, uh, and pay attention and stuff properly uh, when you go in such an endeavors. Uh, great tips. Uh, any from you, David, tips? So like Spiros gave already some great advices. Um, what I would like to add is just a repetition of what we said before about the architecture. So uh, when you're putting in place a team, um, try to be, try to make, um, as Spiros said before, like there is no unicorn, but you could have a unicorn, unicorn team Okay. Uh, once you have the kind of team, uh, when you design your solution, keep in mind the model life cycle. Um, so basically, do not rush rush into coding the solution uh, without having first in place um, clarified what you have um, the full life cycle of the model and uh, experiment with the end uh, goal in mind. Okay, this is going to uh, let's say save your model life. Uh, by far. All right. Uh, to you, Sam. Tips. Yeah, I think uh, the tips is basically, uh, I'll, I'll just, you know, take the word called velocity, what, uh, you know, David was mentioning, because, you know, you know, as I work as a data engineer, you know, most of the time what would happen when I'm starting a project, my data scientists would be waiting for me 
to process the data and give the data to them so you know in those kind of scenario i would uh, rather be you know suggesting or can give the tips like let's have a logical segregation uh, between the uh, you know different uh, you know uh, the roles and responsibility let's say you know data scientist wants to train the model you know give him a a quick snapshot of the data to him so that you know he can start you know working on that like your she can start working on that and by the time you know he he or she finishes the model you basically take care of the whole data ingestion piece so that you know you can work parallelly but uh, you know that that's something i can i can uh, think of and also let's have a logical or the mutual agreement at the starting of the pro uh, project when you are designing with the data scientist okay what you need as a input what environment do you need and where you will be providing the output i think uh, being a ml engineer or the data engineer this three question has to be answered by the data scientist input means like the normal uh, you know uh, model of uh, the data which is required to train the model right. environment means the dependencies the python dependencies and all and then the output where uh, if you uh, have basically trained the model where you are going to save that trained model so that you know you can basically integrate the devops pipeline and the other activities whatever or whatever is there but i think these three question has to be answered by the data scientist to the ml engineer or the data engineer this kind of logical and the mutual agreement has to be there at the starting of the project well this has been super informative where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you i have your linkedin links here they, they, so this is spiros uh spiros here uh if you want to get a hold of him if you want to get a hold of david and here's his LinkedIn uh, address. And then if you want to get a hold of Sam, here you go. Uh, that's for Sam. Well, this has been awesome, my friends. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. And thank you so much for watching. We're learning all about high-level ML ops from Microsoft, a data scientist, a data engineer, and an ML engineer. Thank you so much for watching. And hopefully, we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you.